Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome back to another episode of Kitchen Club with me, Serena Louth, and my lovely friend, Sarah Malcolm. Kitchen Club is the weekly podcast that brings you conversations from our kitchen table. Each week brings a new guest, a new area of expertise to get stuck into, and a new recipe, although this time it's created with our guests' three favorite ingredients that are in their kitchen right now. We also ask our guests to share their healthy habit, which is something that enhances their well-being, and we dive a little deeper into it in our conversation. This week, we're chatting to the wonderful Lisa King. Lisa is a print artist with a range of luxury scarves and swimwear. Her work is hugely inspired by nature, fascinated by people, and influenced by her cross-cultural upbringing. She takes an investigative approach to her work, using experimental, creative processes to convey an emotional response in print. She's also worked with an incredible amount of people, from Harvey Nichols, Bergdorf Goodman, Fortnum and Mason, to even working with Kylie Minogue. Serena was pretty starstruck over that, and pretty (laughs) impressive. We talked to Lisa about her journey into running her own successful business as a designer, how she winds down, and her work-life balance. We wanted to say before we get into the episode that we are not being at all dismissive of the severity of the current situation. We know that this is an incredibly hard time for everyone, but we really want the podcast to be a place of lightness, learning and escapism. So we won't be discussing the pandemic directly in the coming episodes. This recipe concept is also a little different as we can't all be together and eat together. So Serena is creating the recipes based on our guests' three favorite ingredients in their kitchen. And she is then sending them the recipe that they can cook at home to enjoy their ingredients with. And hopefully you can all do the same. So we hope you love the recipe. And here is the wonderful Lisa King on Kitchen Club. Welcome, Lisa King. Hello. Hello. It's so lovely to have you on Kitchen Club, Lisa. And this is our first ever remote recording. So listeners, please bear with us through this. It feels very different to not be together and not be eating all together. But thank you, Lisa. No, I'm excited. Thank you for inviting me. So why don't we kick off with Sarah? I know last night you did Lisa's live drawing class on Instagram and I'd like to hear a little bit about that, please. I did. Oh, yeah, you were great. It was so lovely. Oh, I'm glad you enjoyed it. It's It's been so nice, you know, like I, I kind of, um, I didn't plan on, I thought oh, I'll just do this once because, I, you know, I, I was teaching workshops in London um, sort of using real flowers in the way that I create my prints and and you know I had to cancel um the last couple of what happened but um I was feeling like I needed to reconnect with my community and I was like let's just get the pens out let's just hang out let's just draw some stuff so um it's been so interesting you know it's made me like reconnect with people that I haven't seen in like years um who you know there's always those people that follow you on Instagram 
Um, and then they pop up and they're like, I know all about you, but I'm like, it's been like years. <laughs> um, and yeah. I've had like people with their, you know, parents join in. Last night it was quite, it was a bit nerve wracking because at the end, uh, two of the people showed me their work and I was like, oh my God, it's like literally a masterpiece. And they're like, oh yeah, we're both artists and we teach art. And I was like, oh, I'm so glad you didn't. Wow. That <laughs> <laughs> um, wow. That's so cool. Yeah, and then today we had, um, I just did it again, and we had Josh, you know Josh Dillon, he's in that Noughts and Crosses. So you had him and his um, lovely girlfriend, Anya, who's on the, uh, is it called Witchery, or on Netflix? Oh, I don't know. Um, anyway, they're like super hot couple, and they had his, his dad there, and all sitting very studiously taking my class this morning oh how lovely and that was live on instagram right yeah that i mean that is way more stressful than (laughs) isn't it doing it on zoom i think um because i don't know i guess i guess when you're i mean i'm sure you have this when you teach yoga but it's really hard to like do the yoga and stay you know one eye on the feet because people are asking questions yeah, it's it's challenging. It's an, I'm, I'm treating it as a new skill that I'm learning, multitasking on a new level. We don't get taught these things when we train in our respective <laughs> creative arts, do we? No, exactly. What did um, you guys draw last night? Tell us, uh, Lisa. What did I... Well, I drew... What did I draw? I had... Uh, I always have, like, vases. I have a plethora of vases that I travel with wherever I go. Um, some, uh, flowers left over from my Petalon bouquet that I had delivered this week. Um, some books, I laid everything on a scarf, some pebbles, rocks are always good. You know, they make really satisfying round shapes. Um, mm. and yeah, we did a kind of abstract, we, it's basically designed so that anybody can do it. Um, and it's just about, you know, drawing objects um with a continuous line drawing without sort of lifting your hand off the paper it's a very kind of like instinctive sensory way of drawing without too much pressure of getting the exact shape right and then where the shapes overlap you basically like essentially color in um so it leaves loads of room for interpretation and people can kind of work on it for as long or as quickly as they like and I know the results have been like amazing so far I'm collecting them and I might have a little post-isolation gallery uh all the the work that everybody's done it's been like really amazing to see yeah that would be so nice yeah I want to join in next time definitely you should Serena I'll I'll send you a picture of mine I actually was not very impressed with my own work but (laughs) I I decided to I I went over it in a black marker and then I was like, I've ruined it. I've ruined the whole thing. And the colours were very me year 10, you know. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And I, I kind of struggled with my own, my own creative mind. But then I was like, mm-hmm. it's actually not the point, Sarah. The point is just enjoying it. So yeah. calm down. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> but Serena, you should definitely join. I will. I will. I, I had book club last night, but next oh. time I'm there. So Lisa, let's talk about your three ingredients. Oh, mm. um, so can, I- can you remember the ones that you told us pre-lockdown when, you, when we were sort of like choosing when to oh. record? I'm sure it went from like tempeh to like ginger or something. Serena, yeah. do you remember? I remember two of them. I think you said cashews, green papaya. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it, yeah, green papaya was like, I, I mean, could you be a little bit more specific? <laughs> like, so it's like the thing that you could only buy it in the supermarket in Soho at certain times of the week. <laughs> um, Is that a big favorite, though? Well, it's, it's, you know, it's the basis of, um, cause I'm from Thailand, uh, and my favorite thing in the whole world is that green papaya salad. Mm. Um, and I'm always, you know, whenever I make it, whenever I, whenever I dedicate myself to going into town to buy this papaya that costs about eight pounds, and then I've hacked into it and I've made my like four person dinner of like green papaya salad, you still have three quarters of this green papaya left and you don't know what to do with it (laughs) I was like I know I'll get Sarah and Serena to come up with leftover green papaya recipes and then you know I haven't wasted 
six pounds worth of green papaya. <laughs> that would have been um, really good. That would have been really good. But no, I think I think I'm I love the uh, the recipe that, that you guys have done for me. So, what were your ingredients? Um, whilst in lockdown so we've now asked lisa what her three favorite ingredients are in her kitchen right now and then we've well serena has created such yeah. a great recipe um so i think it was ginger right um was it no was it uh, no it wasn't oh sorry no it was rhubarb yes uh chia seed uh-huh uh coconut yeah milk? yeah exactly there we go <laughs> <laughs> i went through this whole thing uh, last year where, where I sort of tried to stop eating sugar in my diet. It's honestly the most difficult thing I've ever had to do. Um, and rhubarb, I had to like cut out all fruit and rhubarb was the only fruit that I could eat because it's very low in sugar. So I just oh, went really? round and round eating the only fruit available to <laughs> non-sugar eaters. It's getting really bored. Just... So I just have it all the time, obviously when it's in season, but um I'm just amazed because rhubarb's pretty tart. Like if I ever make a rhubarb compote or something, I have to put some sweetener in it. So I'm really impressed that you can eat that without any sweetener. Well I was having I was putting stevia with it. Ah. As opposed and you know um as opposed to sugar. Which is like a really weird sweetness. It almost tastes like sugar gone off. <laughs> it's a it's a little it's a something in it that is like a little bit satisfying. You feel like you're having sugar, but I mean, yeah, I've I've my sort of I'm definitely the person that will always go for like savory snacks over the sweet ones. Um, so rhubarb is like a happy place in fruit world for me. Hmm. I've made you a really bad recipe then if you're not into sugar. This is like no. the ultimate sugary <laughs> cake. No, but it's got like rhubarb in it. Um, <laughs> I feel like that balances it out, you know. It's not like I mean, oh, you're very you? kind. I know. <laughs> no, I love it. I love it. I've, that, that was like former me. Now lockdown me. It's like, I'll just see what I can get, you know. <laughs> I feel like everyone's getting into baking. So this is great. It's a great one. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And I so have I've, not made like a proper sugar butter eggs cake for so long. Mm. And oh my God, I forgot how delicious it is. Yeah. Also with a crumble. Yeah. Mm. You is can, there anything more satisfying than a crumble? Absolutely not. Yeah. Exactly. Serena, can you name it for us? Yeah. We had a rhubarb and ginger crumble cake with coconut mm. custard. Oh, Swoon. I like how you said we had, as if we've oh, all yeah. had it. <laughs> so I'm yeah, going to have to describe it, it, aren't I, to make it sound as delicious as possible, because I'm the only person who's eaten it. It is like, yeah. so it's not like a light, fluffy cake. It's quite like a dense, I know that this is a very divisive word, but I like it. It's very dense, moist cake Ugh. with like a delicious crumbly topping and running through it. There's these like sour bursts of roasted rhubarb and oh. sticky little nuggets of stem ginger and geez Louise. I'm, I, I'm that, really into it. That was wow. the most exciting description of a cake I've ever heard. I'm smiling like a freak in my kitchen right now. You should see my face. It's because you've had most of the cake. Yeah, I was about to go for a run. And my boyfriend came up and busted me eating a massive slice. And he was like, what are you doing? We're about to go oh. for a run. And I was like, I, you just took so long. I couldn't <laughs> I'm going to make it this weekend though. And I can't find rhubarb in my shops here. So I said to Serena, what else could I make it with? And she said an apple or raspberry version would just be divine. Mm -hmm. I think apple, yeah. apple or pear or raspberry would be great, but just don't bother um, roasting them. Like just cook them straight away. Okay. Oh, I see. And I actually, mm. disclaimer, I actually think with apple, it might be a bit better because rhubarb's quite wet when you cook it. And that makes right. the dough, the dough, the batter really moist. And so I think with an app, with apple, it might actually be a lighter, fluffier cake. Mm. So I look forward to hearing. Great. I can't wait. I'll call you pre-run when I'm stuffing my face yeah. with cake. <laughs> I know, but I then I then ran faster and further than ever before. So I'm convinced that this cake has magical properties. Great. I'm so down for it. Anyway, um, yeah. Lisa, you have had a pretty mad career so far. It's like totally incredible. I've been obviously doing my research on you. Oh, and basically obsessed with the fact that you know Kylie Minogue and have oh. worked with Kylie Minogue because she is my 
eight-year-old crush. She's amazing. Um, um, she's yeah, such a I've, babe. Ha- I've had a pretty mad career that's gone all kinds of like over bridges and under. Like, no, you always go under a bridge, right? Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> it, all all over all over the place and back again. And um, yeah, it's it's been a definitely an, a, an amazing, interesting journey of life and trying different things and kind of been yeah always sort of rooted in the same thing I I would like to please start at the beginning because I'm fascinated about your growing up in Bangkok I think that that is very exciting and then we would love to hear about where you how you got to where you are today yeah um, via Kylie Minogue obviously okay (laughs) make a big pit stop at Kylie thank you um so yeah, I grew up in Thailand. I was born in Bangkok. Um, my mother uh, was Indonesian and she was like a buying agent. She was very creative. My dad um, was a lawyer who was from uh, Birmingham um, and saw an ad in the paper one day uh, for a lawyer in Bangkok and he moved to Thailand and he never left basically. And he's been there for 47 years now, my dad. Um, yeah, so... We grew up in Bangkok, and then um, I got sent to school um, here when I was, like, 13. Um, I used to fly back and forth um, and come back and have holidays in Thailand. Um, so I kind of was very privileged to have kind of the best of, like, both worlds. I, and I feel like that was a very big influence on, like, the way that I design. I kind of love color and the tropics, and my mother was, like, a collector of textiles and antiques and and um she loved a weekend market in Thailand if you've ever been um <laughs> and our house was like full of like yeah interesting textiles and and then you know they sent me away to school that I just in my head was just gray all the time um so it kind of I feel gray I, of England yes yeah, so I, I feel like I I feel like you know, England represented this place that was like conducive to hard work because the weather was so bad. <laughs> and like it was a place that I could kind of hold the dream of my native Thailand in my heart and like put it on paper whilst it rained outside, outside my like school window. That's so um, poetic. I love that. It's <laughs> a lovely image. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, I would break free every couple of months and get to go home to Thailand and run amok and like yeah in the like palm trees and stuff and then get sent back to like the gray school um but um, it sounds like a film yeah yeah. (laughs) um so yeah and and yeah it was kind of it was kind of like that like when I left Thailand I remember that you know like school was great but it was like pretty relaxed and like you know I'd come home and my mother would cook all this mate like my mother loved to cook like she was Indonesian but she grew up in New York and she had all these like different influences and she would just cook the entire time and you know like from very very young age you know there's a real tradition in Asian households where like you know the children help with the chopping I think I like chop I mean and, and as you know in Asian cooking there's like 5,000 ingredients in every single dish and if you yeah. don't have like every single thing that is key to the recipe you just can't make the recipe so um yeah it's just it's interesting and and like from your perspective I'm just going off on a total tangent but like I'm one of those people that like I find it really hard to like be given like look into my cupboard and be like oh I've got this and this and this like what can I make Mm. I have to be like no no I haven't got the galangal ginger and lemongrass you know, so I definitely can't eat today. <laughs> um, I'd like rather starve than not make the dish properly. Um, no, I'm joking. But yeah, it's a very different way of thinking um, about cooking and stuff, food, I think. Uh, so yeah, I sort of grew up in this like crazy, um, you know, Asian upbringing. And, and, you know, my mother was this like fiery, feisty, hot tempered mother. And my dad was this kind of like chilled British Englishman um and somehow they raised three crazy daughters who ended up in England um and my sisters both went to you know very academic universities and I just wanted to go to art school and I was the youngest and like the family joke that I kind of got away with murder and was allowed to go to art school um because they came down so hard on my sister's um they kind of gave up when it came to me so um, did you always familiar <laughs> Lisa, did you always know that 
that like art was the direction you wanted to go in? Um, yeah, I think like I was really artistic as a kid, um, like all the way through high school, I painted a lot. Um, and I think, and I think actually had I really been able to have it my way, I would have just become an artist, but my, my parents kind of instilled this thing in me where they were like, we're sending you to school in England. So we've invested in you. So you need to like have a proper job. (laughs) No pressure. Um, no pressure. So I, so I sort of, I, I always did something creative, but I always felt that it, it, it had to have some sort of like legitimacy to it. Like there had to be a business element to it by the end of it. And, and when I got, you know, I did my art foundation, I left with like a, um, I left, what do you call it? Sixth form college. I was like, yeah. Well, that's not what we call it. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I left form. sixth form college, um, with a very like, uh, paint, painterly based portfolio and applied for art college um I I thought you know maybe I'll be a painter but my dad was like no you must do a design degree because they pay money and artists make nothing (laughs) okay um but yeah I had I, I took a year off um before I went to uni I taught dance in Mexico to little kids wow I didn't know that yeah I had this like I had a full year of being a on hippie so I, I I worked in London for six months um just like I worked in a bar and then I just like saved up enough money to go traveling and then I went um and then I came I, I went to Mexico on a volunteer program um to teach um dance to like three indigenous sort of tribal schools I mean it was a riot how amazing um, yeah and then from there went to I did the same in South Africa with one of the girls that was on the volunteer program and um, yeah, I've always like loved to dance. Um, that started quite young as well. And I knew that I, at the time I was kind of teaching a lot, uh, just sort of in my own time. And yeah, and then I kind of landed in London, full tie dye, you know, <laughs> arm, armpit hair. Out there. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Um, everything was just, yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I went to Chelsea, did an art foundation, um, got onto the textiles degree at St. Martin's. And then in my first um, year of St. Martin's, I was living, I was, I was in a dance company called Dance to Excess um, at the time. Really the only reason I wanted to go to Central St. Martin's was because it was five minutes walk from Pineapple Dance Studios. So I, and there were, you know, it was, uni was in Holborn and then Pineapple's in Covent Garden. So yeah. I'm not joking when I was like, I'd be sitting at my textile weaving loom. I'd be like clacking away making cloth for four hours and then I would nip and go and do hip-hop class and then I'd come back and then like amazing thing this like two centimeters of silk that had taken me like eight hours to make it's like and a double was, life it was very contrasting <laughs> um and in my first year of like uni I, I my flatmate was um was a dancer and he got the job dancing for Kylie and um like the first summer of my first year I was like oh I think I think I probably my parents being super encouraging I should say were actually overbearing we're like you need to get some work experience and I was like sure 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 so I gave my um very limited student CV to my flatmate who gave it to Kylie Minogue's creative director um William Baker famous for putting her in those gold hot pants oh yeah Uh, wow yeah yeah um gave him my cv and um I went to do like two weeks work experience um and it was just it was the it was the week after she'd done like that really famous gay performance um I remember walking into this into this um studio where, where they just had and it was it was just like rails and rails of like sequined men's hot pants with like feathers like hanging off the rail of like, and I was like okay <laughs> um and I was just yeah I just like had kind of landed in this crazy world and I think um I was really good at making coffee for Will and I had some like quite good photoshop skills because my very strict mother had made sure I'd learned some design programs on my year off <laughs> Well, and he was like, oh, you're useful. Um, you can stay. And then it basically worked for him all the way through uni. So, you know, he I had a kind of like part-time freelance job like all the way through uni. So I'd, I'd be at uni and then I'd be like 
running off and doing jobs for Kylie on days off from uni. Um, it was quite an amazing education, really. Um, yeah. And it was definitely like 60% of my education in it. And it just meant that by the time I left uni, I, you know, I had a job. So in fact, I had a job. I had to ask for three days off to go to my graduation ceremony, which really, I, wow. they really weren't happy about. So it was like, like I had to, Will was like, we're doing a private we were doing some sort of private performance in Barcelona for Bill Gates. And they were like, you have to come. And I was like, no, I need to graduate. And he was like, no, you need to come or you're going to lose your job. And I'm like, I just want to graduate. (laughs) Yeah, it was mad. And then like, I think, I think the most, like, I think the highlight of like that whole, my last year when I was doing my finals. um, So, so when you're, you know, when you're studying textiles at St. Martin's, um, most of the last year you spend your time just like dyeing fabric and dyeing vats. So if you can imagine, I'm like dyeing fabric and there's obviously holes in my gloves and my hands are basically like red the whole time or like blue the whole time. Ooh. And, um, there was just one day and, and, and at the time, like Kylie had started her, um, she did this tour called Showgirl, um, that was inspired by like the showgirls in Paris, the Folie Berger and you know, mm-hmm. that sort of tradition and she had these amazing corsets and headdresses um especially made for her by this like a uh, special corseteer maker called Mr. Pearl if you like look him up on good name on Mr. He's Pearl got, yeah he's wow, got a um, like 16 inch waist or something what um yeah is that small I'm trying to think what's it 16 inch that's tiny yeah like I'm I'm I've got a pretty small waist and I've like 26 inch waist so wow. if you lit, if you literally put your two hands like together in a, you know, and then added a few inches, that's kind of 16 inches. Oh my God. And that's because he had corsets. Well, cause he, he basically he, trained his waist into being that big. That's just um, crazy. Um, but you know, he, he's made like Vita Von Teese's corsets, like Vivian Westwood, like all these amazing people. Right. So he'd made this corset for Kylie, which was like her opening outfit and um it had to be you know we were like maybe a week away from opening night and you know he'd already spent months working on this corset and it was probably worth like tens of thousands of pounds at the time but it wasn't quite sparkly enough so they were like Lisa we want you to go to Paris and take this corset to Mr. Pearl to be beaded overnight and bring it back and I was like excuse me (laughs) and casual okay um they were like, yeah, don't lose it. I was like, mm-hmm. So imagine I'm like, come out of uni. <laughs> they give me this box with this corset in that's like worth, I don't know how much money. And they send me off in the Eurostar and I go straight like out of the Eurostar into a, you know, a chauffeur driven car with this corset. <laughs> Drop it. I open the door of this like atelier that's like behind Notre Dame and this man opens the door with like the highest pitch like voice and got like he's dressed very like modestly and I give him this box and he's like thank you dear come back tomorrow and I was like right and then the next day I came back um and he opened the door and he had his corset on and I was like oh my god whoa <laughs> a tiny waist and I was like wow that's amazing it was like this real like him. fashion moment yeah if you google him like most if we incredible. google him well he he comes up yeah, yeah, Mr. Pearl. Yeah, okay, like. I'm looking now. Mr. Pearl corset. And Lisa, how old were you at this, during all this? Um, like Young, right? Like 20, 20, 21? 22. Yeah, wow. 20, 21. Um, so then, yeah. And then I like came back in the Eurostar. I was like staring at, staring at this corset sat above me on the Eurostar, like guarding it with my life. And I was like, oh my God, it's like opening night, two nights. And then, yeah, sure enough, we made it on stage with the corset. Wow. <laughs> um, yeah, and that, and then you know I left uni, went on tour with Kylie for a couple months. Uh, doing we did wardrobe on her tour, and it was like the whole thing was like, yeah, it was a bit. It, I'm gonna feel very, very, very privileged to have like been on that journey, and like a lot of people that I met at the time have kind of like stayed, you know, supporting me through the creation of my brand and everything. Um, yeah, what great so, yeah. contacts to have from such an early stage in your career. That's so incredible. I think you're so yeah. glamorous, Lisa. <laughs> I feel really starstruck. Oh, no. 
Yeah, but the thing is, the, the problem was, right, that all that stuff was, like, so glamorous that, like, it didn't prepare me for, like, what actual real life was like. <laughs> like, on one hand, I was learning, you know, to work and earn money, like, quite at a quite young, like, age. But it's like, you know, you when you have your own brand, you don't get to, like, work with the type of people that, like, Kylie Minogue works with, you know, so you're kind of you're sort of trying to do things in your own brand, but you've seen like the best of the best do it. Yeah. And it's like that stuff, the, the best, of the best, do, you know, that stuff costs money. So like, mm-hmm. you know, you can't afford the best hairdressers or the best, you know, studios or set designers. So it's like, you have to learn to be much more conservative with your money and inventive. And yeah, and absolutely. Been, you know, been like really a super like steep learning curve for me. Um, working on like a much much tighter like budget and stuff so um so you now sorry sorry go ahead you now have like you are sort of known now for your swimwear and your scarves so Mm. how did how did that journey to developing your business like like it is now where it is now how did you move into that direction um well kind it is actually kind of happened by accident at first because um I was you know working for Will and and I had such a relationship with him that um I moved from you know doing all the Kylie stuff to he started a men's swimmer brand so that's kind of where my training in that sense started and right he had a swimmer brand that I like you know ran the production for and and, and looked after and we um, I worked with a factory in Thailand and that was kind of, you know, through existing contacts that my, my mother had uh, from her background. Um, I was doing that. And then a couple of years after he, he decided that actually running a fashion brand is really difficult. <laughs> and it's just like a hole that you like throw money into. Gosh, and he decided that he didn't want to do that anymore. So I basically lost my job and it was like a major shock to the system because Will was like, I just can't afford you know, to run this anymore. And I sort of phased out of doing stuff for Kylie. Um, and I knew that like, you know, the, the kind of real, like, st- even though I'd worked as his assistant stylist, I, I never felt that I was cut out to be like a, a full on like fashion stylist. I mean, the, the people that do it properly, like really, really do it like properly. And, and yeah. I think that was like my calling. I, I was really, I really loved, you know, art creation and concept creation in a a different sense um and I was just figuring that out so you know I literally had to start from scratch and was like oh my god what am I gonna do you know my my friends who left uni at the same time as me they'd kind of gone to work and design you know very junior design jobs for some of the brands were getting paid like nothing but they kind of already had three years like on their belts of of um under their belts of kind of you know, working for Queen or working for, yeah. And they sort of yeah. started building their way up, going their way up the ladder. And I had to literally start with a piece of paper and a blank page again and being, and, and I had to learn to draw again, you know? So it's yeah. funny, like some of the things that I'm um, teaching in the class on Instagram are things that I was doing like all those years ago when I'd literally forgotten how to draw. Um, you know, I'd forgotten how to do perspective and, how to shade and like it's it's just like if it's a skill that if you don't practice it you just lose it you know yeah um so I I I had to like start again I did a portfolio I like went looking for an agent and then after a while I like started you know I met a few of the right people I started selling prints um freelance to fashion houses uh doing a few commissions but that's pretty like it's pretty hard work and you know it was hard getting paid like as a freelancer on time. And, and um, I just found it really challenging. And I very quickly realized that I, that the type of designer that I was, was not someone that could, could design sort of prints, like, you know, on trend prints. Like there are people that are amazing that can design 20 prints a week and and hit all the major trends. Right. You know, they make tons of money kind of designing for Topshop or designing for, you know, whoever, um, and I just wasn't one of those people. I would, I'd get so bogged down with the idea and I'd be so protective of like my, my own work that I'd be like, I can't possibly sell this to somebody else. Yeah. Um, but that's good though. Yeah. So it was, it was a real like process of, of seeing uh, where my interests lie. And, and then, you know, coupled with like trying to just make money. So I was doing like 
really, you know, basic like graphic design jobs. And then people started to ask me to help them develop, you know, swimwear brands for them through these factories that I was working with in Thailand. Um, and I started doing that. I was just kind of doing, you know, loads of different things as many of us do in this day and age. Yeah. Um, wearing all the hats. Yeah. Wearing all the hats. Fingers in all the balls. Exactly. Um, and, and then one day, like someone told me to go, um, you know, go to that Liberty open call, um, thing that they do where they, you can kind of present your work to the buyers and you, um, and yeah, that somebody said to me, oh, you should start a scarf line. And I was like, no way. (laughs) (laughs) I never thought about this. Um, I never thought about it, but at the time in my head, I was like, scarves are like, so not like my age group or something, you know what I mean? I had this very like traditional view around them. Yeah. My mum loves scarves. She's always, I mean, I got her at one of your scarves for Christmas, but when I, when I used to think of scarves, I'd think of my mum. Well, exactly. And I think most people are like, you know, the queen wears them or like, yeah. you know, but there's, but there's actually this amazing roster of, you know, British contemporary scarf designers. I think like there should be a book on them because there's so many amazing people in London, like Silken Favors, like Emma Shipley, like all these, Karen Mabin, like all these people who are really, really great. Um, and yeah, I think I just sort of, discovered this world and then I got picked up very quickly I designed a collection I did a pop-up it went really well I got picked up by an agency who were then like you're gonna make loads of money you need to show in like London New York and Paris four times a year and let's let's go and I was like oh my goodness you know and I just like threw everything at it and I was like let's do it and um very naively I think at the time I sort of very trustingly was like you know what, I'm just going to throw everything at it. I believe in my abilities. And I like paid for all the press and I paid for all the showrooms. And yeah, wow. like I, I got into some amazing stores, but it was just like, I was just churning out so much work that I almost didn't have like time to enjoy the things that I'd made at the time. Yeah. Because it was like, I'd literally show something and then I'd be like designing the next lot. And you'd like blink and you'd like miss another season. No time to process it all and and give yourself a pat on the back. Well, exactly. And you're always like, oh, you know, like, okay, we got into that store, but then, you know, the next season you wouldn't get into another store that you wanted to get into. And it, Mm. it just kind of fueled this like feeling that you were kind of not quite getting what you wanted or it kind of was never enough. And I think that's like a really dangerous thing yeah, um, to not have time to sit down and be like, hey, you know what? Like, I've achieved this, and that in itself is really great. And I yeah, like absolutely. need to, like, enjoy that and stuff. So um, that kind of went on for a very, very intense couple of years. And then something pretty major in my life happened. Like, I lost my mom um, to cancer after she was sick for, like, a couple of years. And that just, like, made Gosh. me, like, stop and... um and could have take stock of everything. And I was like, okay, whoa, that's a big, like, stop in your tracks and yeah. evaluate and stuff. And I'm so you know, sorry. She was, that's okay. <laughs> I talk about it very, very openly because I think it's good to, um, but yeah, she was such a huge influence on my life. And, you know, part of me was just, she was sick for like, basically like she, she got sick very much in parallel with when I started my business. So, um, I felt like my my business was something that I could like put love into and control. Whereas at the same time, like I couldn't control what was happening with my mother mm. to an extent. So when the time came that she left, I, I I felt like I'd been hanging on to like, you know, doing the doing the brand as like full pelt as I could, because I was like, if I push this, I push this. I know that I can win at this. Mm. It was like, I wasn't winning with my mom, basically. Um and then by the end, when she went, I was just like exhausted. And I took about, I took about a year to kind of process everything and then reevaluate what was really important to me about what I was doing. And, you know, she lived in Thailand and I had to kind of pack up her life there. Um, and then I was like, you know what? <laughs> I was like, I love designing prints. I love like, you know, I love community. I love doing things that helps me like engage with my community. So I'm just going to do more of that. Yeah. Um, And I bet how lovely that like your mum has been such a massive influence on 
where you are now and your yeah. prints and everything that like it's so special to be able to keep going and be like mum look yeah. at me now yeah, exactly. <laughs> I bet she's so proud Lisa yeah she is don't you make me emotional I mean I'm I'm kind of like yeah I still hear her in my voice she's very very bossy <laughs> like, you're missing the ingredients what are you doing <laughs> um yeah she um yeah and definitely so so basically like last year I, I decided that I wanted to show my work on a bigger format um and I started this whole thing with playing with real flowers in um in inks because it sort of stemmed around out of the time when um I lost her I was uh, Sam and I were living in um Bethel Green like really near Columbia Road Market and somebody once told me um after I read this book called Grief Works which is really amazing for anyone that's been through it um that you should try and have something that means that you're paying like tribute to someone in a small way like every week or pretty regularly because it makes you feel like you're not forgetting them because you've kind of created this thing that you know without thinking too much you're always like paying tribute to them Mm, so so my thing was you know going to the market every Sunday and buying flowers and then photographing them so I used to do that every Sunday and I was like you know she loved flowers we grew up in Thailand we had a big garden and stuff and and the flowers became like synonymous with my mother. Um, and of course, eventually they would like permeate into my work. And I started doing these, you know, photographs of like flat lays of flowers and like cutting them and playing them with inks and putting them in water. And yeah, it sort of grew from that. And it's amazing, like over over kind of two years of doing that, where it, where it got to and it sort of culminated in this big exhibition that I did in collaboration with the London Flower School yes. um, last September. So I, I did this collaboration with with them and they're amazing. Like they helped me, like they they took my work to like the next level. Like everything that they put out is just like stunning, stunning, stunning. Um, and yeah, and then since then kind of, you know, different, I've been approached by a lot of different collaborations. Like it's it's kind of now like, where I wanted it always to be, where I could use my work to to collaborate with different people, to, you know, across different mediums, whether it's product or it's experience or it's a workshop. Um, yeah, I'm really glad. And and it's weird because even though, like, you know, we're all stuck at home now and to an extent, you know, I, I, I'm really missing all the flowers. Because <laughs> mm. I, I share a studio with, um, with Petalon uh, and, and another florist called Still Life Flowers. And we built this studio in an old warehouse in East London that's like... Which is lovely. It's beautiful. <laughs> There's just flowers in it constantly. Um, you know, it's been nice to kind of reconnect with with drawing again and, and just like, you know, I'll get a bouquet delivered. I'll like pull the flowers apart. Some of them I'll press. Some of them I'll draw. Some of them I'll slice up. <laughs> and... Um, you know, it's kind of informing my work in a different way, but it's really forcing me to like slow down again. And, mm. and I think it's important to like slow down and check yourself and be like, am I really happy with the way that, you know, I'm doing what I'm doing? Or I'm, yeah, I, I feel like at the beginning of the year, um, at least like parts of my industry part, you know, the fashion bit of my industry was moving at such a pace that it was like, you know, like what season are we doing right now yeah (laughs) Um, yeah I feel the same I feel like you can very easily just get snowballed along on sort of like journeys that you don't necessarily really want to be focusing on but you just kind of mm -hmm. like roll with it because you think that's where the work is so I'm just going to follow where that takes me but now is such a great time to just be like hold on what do I actually Mm -hmm. enjoy doing what fills me up yeah and I think you know sometimes we get so wrapped up in having you know, the pressure of having to put content out there like the whole time because mm. that's kind of what we're doing. And and in a, in a way, you know, it is, it is good. But sometimes I think, sometimes I have to like check myself and be like, am I just putting that out because I feel like, am I just making this for content sake or am I actually like, you know, am I actually making it because this is what I want to make? Yeah. So, How so do I you think, feel about social media in general in terms of your work? Uh, I think it's, you know definitely 
helped. I because I, I you know because fabric is my like main um, medium, and, and that scarves are quite a niche product. Sometimes I feel like people don't get to experience the intention I had for the piece because it ends up on this tiny square on your screen. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Which is kind of one of the reasons I wanted to do the exhibition because we showed these, I made these silk hangings that were like three by three meters. Oh, wow. And we did these massive like light boxes um, and the flower school did this incredible like um, installation that, you know, married with the two of those. And, and yeah, I think, I think sometimes it's really important to, you know, get out of our online like social media life and actually like stand in things and I, I I you know whether that's like in front of a big painting or whether that's in the middle of the installation like I'm really if anything looking forward to the day where like you know I can we I can show work in that way again really I always think social media is an interesting one for artists because like being such a visual medium hmm. um yeah, I wondered whether that was a good thing that it's all just pictures, but I suppose, yeah, with fabric, it's it's different. No, it's, it's, not de- like it's definitely, yeah, and it, it's definitely like, um, it's it's definitely an amazing portal for connecting with people. And so sometimes I, um, yeah, sometimes I, I battle with, you know, I'll say I have a brand, but I'm also just me and and the brand has my name on it and, Sometimes I'm like, am I oversharing the things that I do at home? Like I'm basically always like dressing up in scarves and doing hustle in my like, and, and, and you know, and then, and then every once in a while I'll have like a conversation with a PR consultant and she'll be like, it's too personal. You, you need to rein that in. And I'm like, yeah, but that's just like, that's just me, you know? <laughs> yeah. I also love that though. I love seeing that the, there's like personality behind a brand especially mm. one that's got your name to it like you're not yeah. just hiding behind a, another an, a name of a brand like you are the brand and people are investing in you and the work you produce it's it's such a personal thing I think and I, personally I'm just nosy so I'd love to see what people are up to I completely yeah. agree I was about to say people are so nosy the way people like want to see when the people are obsessed with day in the life videos that always baffles yeah. me I'm like why do you want to mm. see them like doing their emails yeah, yeah. I love yeah. it yeah. <laughs> I always yeah. think that as well I always like post a picture of my breakfast or like one thing and I think god people must be so bored like oh she's posting another porridge picture oh my god but honestly honestly like your porridge photos I'm like why does my porridge never look like that <laughs> mine doesn't either don't worry but actually Serena I always feel this way this way about you when I when you haven't been that active on your stories I'm like oh I really miss seeing what Serena's up to oh, <laughs> you guys can just you know have a WhatsApp group for porridge updates. <laughs> Would you like to be part of it? I'd love to be part of it. Porridge Yay! club. <laughs> we can make rhubarb porridge. Yeah, yeah that's the best. Mm. Um, Lisa, Lisa, I want to ask you before we get on to hustle, mm. which is very exciting. First of all, how do you keep a good work-life balance? Because I'm sure it's very easy when you've got your own studio to sort of work all the time and keep designing and keep getting creative. And yeah. then second part of the question is, how do you unwind when art is your job? Do you use mm-hmm. art to unwind? Or are you always thinking, oh, how can I make this? How can I turn this into something? Because I know that that's what I think when I go to a yoga class. Like, oh, that, that's quite cool. How could I yeah. teach that in my flow? I think, um, how do I unwind? I mean, I, I love going to, to galleries. Um, I love, like, learning from other people. Um, how do I, sorry, the question was, how do I keep a good work-life balance? Um, yeah. To be honest, it's, it's tricky, you know, but I have like certain people that, uh, keep me in check. I mean, um, Sam is also one of those people who were both very guilty of just running away with obsessively trying to do everything that we can in every minute that we can do it. Um, but I'm trying to get a bit better at, I mean, honestly, the problem is, is that my most creative time of the day is about between like 6 p.m. and midnight, which is a problem when you are trying to be social. <laughs> um, so I, yeah, I, I, try, I try and kind of stop myself from doing that. I'll like, you know, book dinner with friends and like to cook dinner for them at home, you know, twice a week or, you know, I'll try and kind of be social and then obviously like make time for Sam and stuff. But um, 
yeah, I kind of, I got into this like rhythm because the, the florists in the studio, you know, they start really early in the day, you know, they come in at like six, seven AM and then they're done by like two or three. So I, and the way that I like to work is that I like to put on the music like real loud and then just like throw flowers all over the place <laughs> um, and then get into a bit of a like art hold, I call it. Um, and then, you know, that kind of goes from like, can go from four till 10 PM. Um, wow. So I've just been trying to be a bit more strict about, you know, having, having a bit more of a structure in my day. But, but to be honest, I think the way that I actually work, because it's difficult to be like, okay, so I'm going to do like, you know, some emails in the morning and then I'm going to do some art in the afternoon. Like it doesn't really work that way when I feel for me anyway, like if I'm, if I'm designing something, I have to do it Monday to Friday obsessively until it's done. Yeah. And then my accountant might shout at me because I haven't sent him something that he needs. And then, you know, my like admin assistant will do like, you know, the admin stuff that needs to happen. But I kind of, if I've got an idea and it needs to come out, it just needs to be done. And then I might take a week off to be like, okay, I'm just going to do galleries. Then I'm going to catch up with people. Yeah. Definitely kind of a binge approach to, <laughs> to, to sort of designing and working on certain things. Um, because that's just the way I am, unfortunately. But yeah, I, I, I'm not... I've got better. I think if you're in a relationship with someone, you know, you have to be like, oh yeah, weekends, right? Yeah, 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 definitely. <laughs> um, and what was the other question? How do you um, kind of wind, how do you wind down, really? Um, how do I wind down? So um, I do, so sometimes I come to your class. <laughs> <laughs> you do. <laughs> um, I I really enjoy a, a um, with my giving up of sugar, I gave up like wine and, all, and so I only usually normally just drink tequila. Wow. Yeah. Straight off the mixer. No, it's soda and lime. Oh, delicious. Lovely. Um, it's a very like hangover free drink. Yeah. So, um, I feel like sometimes I deservedly have a, a, a tequila. Um, I love cooking Thai food. like, that really winds me down. Um, and then, of course, like hustle, you know, like we'll do hustle or like I really enjoy a very sweaty dance ravey night out every once in a while. Yeah. <laughs> so those all of those things. Can you explain hustle to me, please? Because I and I'm sure that some people listening, Sarah talks about hustle the whole time whenever we mention you, Lisa. And oh. I still I because I've been naughty and not done it. Don't know. That's what it okay. is. Um, so hustle is a, um, like a Latin inspired dance that originally came out in the seventies. Um, it's basically disco. Um, and it's like a three beat sort of three count dance. You do it to like four, four, four music. So you'll do it to like, um, you know, you can do it to hip hop or neo soul or like R and B or even like house music. But, but as, as opposed to like hip hop where you dance on like the one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, hustle, you're like, and one, two, three, and one, two, three. So it's like continuous and you can like speed it up or slow it down and you can do it like all different kinds of contemporary music. But yeah, it's a partner dance. Sorry, I missed that. It's basically a partner dance. Um, and just for listeners, hustle yeah. is Lisa's healthy habit. Yes. So this is her healthy habit for you all to try. And um, I have, I tried it today with yeah. my boyfriend and Serena is going to try it this weekend. Oh, it's going to kill me. <laughs> so I, I mean, Piers, my boyfriend has been, he, he knew this was coming for a while. Serena and I were originally going to try and get to a hustle class, a real mm. life one before mm. lockdown. Um, but Lisa sent us a little beginner's video for us to try so my I did it about th three hours ago and yeah. it was so much fun <laughs> we had a such a good one Aaron Piers looks so confused I sent it to Lisa too <laughs> <laughs> it's so good that was actually towards the end of it because Piers wouldn't let me film very early on um Aww. and he only let me do the video with him and not like get it to music but I'm gonna work on him and I think but like you know. how nice is it to dance with somebody you know what I mean yeah it is I think we were a bit worked up on getting the steps right. So we weren't like completely in it, but yeah. I can feel like it's going to become a thing. 
Oh no, it's it's so great. And the thing is, like I, you know, I've I've danced like all my life, and I used to, you know, I did hip hop for a long time, and 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 then I did house dancing, which is like amazing cardio and just like killer on your knees. And I don't have great knees. Wow. And then I saw somebody do hustle, and actually the style that they do now is called new style hustle. And I learned for the first time about a year and a year and a half ago. Um, and the group in Th- the group in in London is called follow Hustling London on Instagram. Um, Inger and T Boy are our teachers, and they're just like incredible. Like you're gonna have a major girl crush on Inga. <laughs> really? Do we go to a hustle class if we're not very good at dancing, though. So I'm I'm I don't Sarah. Maybe yeah. you're wonderful at dancing. I'm not. Is it really yeah. like mortifying? Is everyone really pro? No, no. Like it's the steps are like easy. It's the steps are easy and you can do it kind of as, you know, easy or as complicated because it's kind of up to you to add the like frills basically. The um, and exactly. And you, you know, there's <laughs> lots of like cute hand styling that you can do. You can like do it as like, yeah, more like wiggly salsa based, or if you want to do it really like clean and like slow. And I think the nice thing about it is, is, um, you know, it's not like salsa where you have to dance to salsa music in a salsa club. Uh, hustle you know you could be dancing to Diana Ross or you could be dancing you know to some like disco and um it it's yeah and and I think the best thing the best thing about it which I've been working up to which I think should be a goal for many people it's getting to the point where you feel like you're good enough to wear the like sparkly like dance shoes (gasps) yes so fun (laughs) you know the ones that they wear in Strictly Ballroom like oh my god yes And um, you're like, oh, my gosh, like, I didn't even make it properly to points when I did ballet, but I've made it into hustle (laughs) in a year and a half. Like, seven years of ballet didn't get me into points. (laughs) What a goal. Maybe I use Um, this time in lockdown to train my boyfriend. We're getting married in October. I was literally saying that. For our first dance. I was going to just say that. You should just get Inger and, and T-Boy to, like, choreograph you something. <gasps> Honestly, you could learn a dance. Like, if you did, you can also get private lessons if you want to do your wedding dance. It's a great wedding dance. I would recommend oh it for anyone. God, yes! But my I think cool, like, yeah. Go. I think it's also really beautiful to watch just as... I like, I like watching your stories, Lisa, when you and Sam are just doing it. And it's so graceful. Yeah. It's so um, calming to just watch people, like, spinning around and... It feels very free and flowy. No, it's definitely, and you, you know, can do it, you can really style it in different ways. And I think, and I think, I think like, especially in like fashion, I think the seventies are having such a big moment right now that like the dream, right. Is that like, we all learn the hustle and then we all wear like these crazy print dresses and we come out and like have this massive post lockdown hustle disco flash moment. Mob. Yes. Mob? Yeah. A hustle slash mob. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So if you're stuck of what to do in your lockdown, get on a hustle for beginners YouTube video. And then down the line, we can hold a kitchen club hustle event. Yeah. Yes. Oh my God, imagine. (laughs) Serena's all about the events. Brilliant. (laughs) Events manager, Serena Lau. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, fab. Well, Lisa, thank you so, so much. Thank you so much, Lisa. It's been lovely chatting to you. You too. Thank you for having me. And I can't... To eat this cake. (laughs) I know. I can't wait to make the cake and eat it. Let's all in one go. To cake together in the future when this is all over. Yes, yeah, so nice. we absolutely should. Thank you so much, Lisa. Have the, the loveliest of days. Happy weekend. You too. You too. Bye, Bye. girls. Thank you so much, Lisa, for joining us from afar. It feels really weird to be recording like this, not all to be together in the same room, but it's still so lovely to be able to connect in this way. Definitely. And I think our food will bring us together as as we can all make your delicious cake, Serena. Mm. I can't wait to bake it this weekend. And you can get the recipe for that on our Instagram at Kitchen Club Podcast. And we'll also leave Lisa's details in the show notes below. And if you have an opportunity, do join her for her live art classes as well. They're really fun. 
thank you so much for listening, everyone. Stay healthy and positive, and we can't wait to see you back here next week. Bye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.